Good morning. It is a great joy to be with you here this morning. It is a privilege to come and open up God's Word. Uh, I look forward to our our time together. I'm grateful uh, for uh, your Pastor Stephen for the opportunity to come and and share God's Word uh, while he is away. And uh, I would like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll be studying verses 12 through 31 uh, this morning in our time together. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. And if you're able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. For just. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your incredible design and love for your church. We thank you that in Christ you have united us all together in one body. And Lord, we thank you that you have uniquely designed and gifted each of us and allowed us the privilege of serving you. God, as we come to study your word now, Lord, we ask that your spirit would work mightily among us. Oh God, would you open our eyes and stir our hearts to understand and to apply your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, God's design of the human body is 
quite incredible for us to consider. It's made up of more than 30 trillion cells, over 200 bones, 600 plus muscles, and close to 80 different organs. God's design of the body is marvelously complex, uh, yet all of these different parts in our bodies function for one purpose. There are are also, by God's design, several different systems uh, within our bodies that help it to function properly, like the circulatory system that helps uh, blood flow and circulate through the body. There's also the digestive system that helps us to absorb the nutrients from the food that that we eat. Our immune system, it it helps to defend the body against uh, harmful bacteria. And this is all by God's good and perfect design. There's a book uh, called Body by Design. It's, it's written um, from a Christian perspective on, on the anatomy of the human body. And in, in that book, the author says that many early anatomists, that is those who study uh, the body, believe that the body parts share a common thread. They are interdependent with each other. These early workers noted that the body is one unit, though it is made up of many different types of cells and tissue. They all form one body. In our text this morning, Paul is comparing the church to the human body, and he wants to remind us that we're, we're not all a collection of just isolated individual parts, uh, but that we are interdependent parts, that God has designed and uniquely designed each of us and called and gifted each of us to come together and to function as one in the body of Christ. So our main idea for the message this morning is, though made up of many members, we are the body of Christ serving together for the common good. And in our text, Paul teaches us two truths about the church. First of all, we see that the body of Christ is one, and it has many members. The body of Christ is one, and it has many members. Look back at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now this opening word before, it signals that Paul is he's giving an explanation of what came before in verses 1 through 11. And in those verses, we're told that uh, there are a variety of spiritual gifts within the church, but all of those differing spiritual gifts come from the same Spirit, come from the Holy Spirit. Uh, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 12, we're told that the, the Holy Spirit uniquely gifts and empowers each member in the body of Christ. And then in verses 7 through 11, that, that the Spirit does so for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives to His church a variety of gifts, and he apportions or distributes to each one individually as he wills. So, in 12 through, verses 12 through 31, Paul is continuing to expound on, on this theme, to, to explain it uh, more clearly, and he's applying the themes of unity and diversity, that there is one spirit, a unity, but, but there are many gifts, many diverse People, many diverse gifts uh, in the church. There is one body, but many members. So the body of Christ is is one. It it is one body. 
This emphasizes that there is unity in the body of Christ. And this, this unity that we share with one another in Christ is rooted in the very nature of God himself. If you recall from the text previous, and I'm sure you studied it last week, in verses 4 through 6, we're told about the variety of gifts, but it's rooted in the nature of God himself, the very triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That there is one God, that he is a unity, but within his essence there is a diversity of persons. There are the three persons of the Godhead. So the body of Christ is one, but it has many members. And uh, the idea of diversity is, is stressed. Uh, the church, as you know, and as we're all here gathered, is made up of, of many different kinds of individuals, young and old, uh, from all walks of life, all kind of different backgrounds. We have people from church backgrounds and people from unchurched backgrounds, different ethnicities. We are a diverse people, but united as one in the body of Christ. And Paul gives a theological basis for this truth in verse 13 when he goes on to say, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The Holy Spirit is the unifying agent among the many diverse members of the body. It is the spirit that brings us together. And Paul stresses his point by mentioning two categories of, of people, and these would have been polar opposites in the New Testament times, when he mentions Jews or Greeks, or slaves or free. We're ta talking about opposite classes of society. So the Corinthians would have understood what he was saying, that, that in Christ there is no longer these uh, dis divisions that uh, society places on one another that there's no longer a division of, of social class and backgrounds, that, that they are, we are all one in Christ Jesus. In the body of Christ, the, the world's divisions no longer apply. We're united as one by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives at conversion, when we, when we come to trust in Christ for salvation. And that's what Paul means when he says that we were baptized in one spirit and were made to drink of, of one spirit. And when you turned from sin and trusted in Christ for salvation, the spirit did a mighty work inside of you. He, he, he made you alive together with Christ. He gave you a new heart. But, but he also united us to one another in the church. And the baptism that Paul is speaking of here is not... Is not water baptism, uh, but it's, it's the Spirit's baptism that happens to every believer at the moment of conversion. So when we come to Christ, when you trusted in Christ for salvation, this inward work of the Holy Spirit that took place in, in your heart, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Now, we, we practice the, uh, the ordinance of, of uh, baptism for believers because that also is a command from Christ. And when we're doing that, when we stand in the waters of baptism and give testimony to the Lord's work and, and immerse someone in the, in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're giving evidence to this reality that's already taken place, that one has already been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And so when we do come and, and do water baptism in our services, this is to give uh, testimony to that great reality. Uh, at a previous church that we were involved in, uh, most recently in California, 
the beautiful thing about the, the bat- baptisms that happen there, we did them on, on Sunday nights um, every couple of weeks. And uh, uh, part of the, the baptism service would include the individuals sharing their, their testimony. Now, they, were, uh, they wrote it out beforehand, so, uh, so there was you know, no confusion when the time got up there. But they would write out their testimony, and when they stood with the pastor to be baptized, they, they shared about the Lord's work in their lives. It was always a, a great and, and encouraging time to hear uh, of so many different kinds of people. Again, young, old, uh, men and women, people from church backgrounds, people from unchurched backgrounds, Uh, People that had lived recklessly their whole lives or others that thought they were trying to live a a moral life. Uh, But each one stood in the the waters of baptism and and gave uh, their public profession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a celebration that is, right? When we we do have baptisms and and we celebrate the Lord's work in someone's life. And again, as we do so, we're giving evidence to the reality that we have all been baptized into one body together. That, that though from many different backgrounds, the Spirit unites us together as one in Christ. So in the church, there, there are no more religious and social divisions than there are in the world. The church is multiracial, multicultural, multigenerational. And so we must embrace God's good design for his people. Paul says over in Galatians chapter 3, he says the same, the same truth in Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he says in a similar way in, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 4 through 6, that there is one body and one spirit, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So though we are made up of many members, we are one body in Christ. That is is who we are. That's That's the fundamental nature of the church. But we see secondly in our passage this morning that the body of Christ serves together for the common good. The body of Christ serves together for the common good. And what Paul is stressing here is, is really the, the function of the church. This is how we are to function together. We are many, made up of many diverse members from many different backgrounds. We have been united in Christ, and we are to serve together for the common good. Uh, in, in verse 7 of chapter 12, uh, again talking about spiritual gifts, uh, the verse says that each is to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each person uh, in the body of Christ has been given a spiritual gift or, or a, a mixture of gifts, uh, not for themselves, not, not to build up themselves, but to build up and to serve the body of Christ. Every member in the church has been gifted by the Spirit for the body. Every one of you has something to contribute in the life of the church. And to make his point, Paul expounds on this comparison of the human body to the church body. First of all, he tells us that every member has a place in the body. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Everyone has a place in the body of Christ. Paul, in this section, uh, he presents what I would call the comedy of talking body parts. Uh, that he pictures, uh, if, if our foot could talk, if our foot could talk and, and tell the hand, well, hand, because I'm not like you, I don't belong to the body. Or if the ear, if our ears could talk, and if the ear could say to the eye, I, I'm not like you, and so, I guess I don't belong to the body. Thankfully, as he says, that would not make that would not make it any less a part of the body. If our if our feet and our physical bodies, if our feet and our ears could try to rebel and separate themselves from the rest of the body, and complained about its function, uh, thankfully, it still would not be able to remove itself from the body. He goes on, Paul goes on with a little more irony in verse 17 when he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? A giant eye body wouldn't do much good, uh, nor would a giant ear. Uh, You could maybe see, but certainly not hear. You could maybe hear, but not smell. So do you see the, the absurdity of the picture that, that Paul is, is making? Do you get the point that he's, he's trying to get across? One commentator said that the intention of this, of this picture that Paul is using is to demonstrate that every member of the church is vital and that the church will not function properly when one or more members are ignored or regarded as less useful or less valuable. The body is not made, made up of just one or two parts, but many and, and all are necessary in order for the body to function properly. That's true in our physical bodies, and it's true in the church body. Verse 18, Paul says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So there are no accidents in God's good design. For the body, he he arranges it by his own choice, that the foot has a role, and the eye, and the ear, the hand, they they all have a role to play. They all have a function to carry out. Again, the same is true in the church. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in in verses 4 and 5, He says, for as as in one body we have many members, and the the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We differ from each other as a diverse group, but we belong to one another in the body of Christ. Because of this, And no one can say that that they themselves or anyone else in in the body is inferior or that they don't matter or that they don't belong. To to claim 
inferiority or, or that I don't belong or that someone else doesn't belong in the church is, is to complain against God's good design for the body where he has gifted each member for the service, each member for the upbuilding of the church. Therefore, to say, I don't belong or you don't belong is really a complaint against God because he is the one who designed and uniquely gifted each of us to serve together for the common good. And think for a minute about the difference uh, in, in a car's drain plug and its ignition system. Obviously, there's a lot of complexities that go into uh, making an automobile, but uh, think about the drain plug on the car versus the ignition system. The drain plug is, is uh, very unimpressive. It's, it's plain and uh, not too much complexity about it, right? It's a little plug, you know, holds oil in. Uh, one is somewhat hidden and the other is, is visible. But no matter how impressive the, the car's ignition system may be, maybe it's a, a keyless uh, start or whatever, whatever kind of fancy details may, uh, may be part of that system, the car can't function, our cars can't function without the drain plug. All the parts are needed in order to make the car work properly. And even in our human bodies, one tiny malfunctioning valve can shut down the entire body. So there are no unnecessary members in the church family. There are no unnecessary members in the body of Christ. That is what Paul is teaching us. That, that is what the Lord would have us to remember this morning, that, that all are needed, that all serve a role, that all have been gifted. Every member is needed in the body. Verse 21, Paul continues on with this sort of comedy of talking body parts, and he says that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, perhaps those in Corinth, uh, well, likely they were, flaunting their ability to use the more showy gifts, like tongues, and they had an inflated view of themselves. They thought that they didn't need the other body parts, those that just had the average gifts. There was some boastfulness and pride going on. Well, look at me, I've got the showy gifts. And so what Paul's really confronting here is the idea of, of superiority in the church. Uh, the tendency towards pride or boastfulness for, for one to think that, well, my gift is somehow better than yours. Or uh, certainly this is something that, that those with public uh, gifts or those that are called to, to, to the speaking gifts uh, have to be on guard for. Uh, there is no place of superiority in the church. Just because someone is up front or more visible, that does not mean that they are more superior. That, that the body of Christ, uh, in, within the body of Christ, all members are needed. The speaking gifts, the serving gifts, the preaching gifts, the helping gifts, all, all are needed to make it function properly. There is to be no superiority, no haughtiness of mind, no one that says, well, my gift is better than yours, and so uh, I guess I, don't, I really don't need you after all anyways. That's what he's confronting here. But look what he goes on to say in verse 22 when he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not 
require. It's especially highlighting the fact that the members we may think of as weaker and less honorable in the church actually deserve greater attention and greater respect. As I said before, the public aspect of ministry in the church is of great importance, but the private ministry of the church is greatly needed as well. The church, it's not a a corporation that, that needs to have certain personalities in order to make it function to perform up to certain standards. But as Paul said in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, that in 1 Corinthians 1.27, that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God's wisdom is not like the world's wisdom. God's design for his church to function as a family, as a body, where all are serving together. It is not like the world's wisdom. And all those that serve so faithfully and diligently behind the scenes are worthy of greater attention and honor and respect and gratitude for the work that you do in the Lord. Look what he goes on to say in verse 24, that, that, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Every member is needed in the body because God composed the body in this way. This is his design for how the church is to function. And, and why did he do this? Why, why did God design the church in this way? Well, first of all, he says that it's designed this way so that there would be no division in the body. He designed it that, that the Spirit would, would give gifts to each member of the body in a unique way, in a, in a diverse way, where this beautiful picture of, of different people come together and, and serve the Lord. He designed this so that there would be no division. Division was an issue that plagued the Corinthian church. They were divided over ministers. Well, one follows Paul, the other follows Apollos. They were divided over conflicts that caused them to to take matters to be resolved in the courts when they should have been handled in the church. They were divided over whether or not to eat food sacrificed to idols. They were divided even in their partaking of the Lord's Supper. And they were divided over their spiritual gifts. The Corinthians had a division problem. But division and disunity is not God's design for the body. The fact that we are diverse and gifted differently is to not lead to disunity, but to a greater picture of unity within the local church family. And he composed the body so that the members would have mutual care for one another. It's to be a regular, ongoing activity for the church family to be genuinely concerned for the well-being of one another. This is true Christian fellowship. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be the church, to care for one another, sharing life together, so that if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's 
The picture of of interconnectedness, of of belonging, of sharing life together, where one member suffers and all share in that suffering, or where one rejoices and all can share in that rejoicing. That's God's design for the church family. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about how the church cared for our family uh, in a time of great tragedy and loss. Uh, This was uh, about 12 years ago, uh, my Older brother Jonathan was killed in a rock climbing accident in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. During that time, we were members of Parkwood. My my parents have been uh, at Parkwood for a long time, and uh, I was a member there also at that time. And obviously, uh, this was a tragedy. I mean, my, my brother was a, a climber. He, he was an adventurer, and, uh, and that's what he did. He traveled the world, and he, and he climbed mountains. Um, obviously... Uh, we, we weren't expecting his loss so soon. Uh, and it came at, a, at an unexpected time. But I can certainly remember coming to the house, even before I had found out the news, and cars up and down the whole street. House was full. People there to suffer with us. That there was one member suffering And the church came together to suffer together in that moment. There were so many people there that the meals were taken care of. The the house was full. The company was present. All, my, my father told me the other day that the entire funeral arrangements were all paid for. The, the trip for my parents to go and and visit where my brother lived, taken care of. That was the body coming together to care for one another, to suffer together. And that's how it's to be, brothers and sisters. If one suffers, we all share in suffering together. We rally around and support one another in times of difficulty, in times of, of trial. That's God's good design for his family. It's good design for the body of Christ. And it's to be the case not just in times of, of tragedy, but as, as part of our regular life in the church. That, that we're so connected that we can share these moments of, of sorrow and rejoicing together. So Paul exhorts us in Romans chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. We are to live in harmony with one another. That's a responsibility and a duty that we all have to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, in our local church family. The last thing we see that the Lord is, is instructing us this morning that every member has been uniquely gifted for the body of Christ. Each and every member is uniquely gifted to serve in the body of Christ. Look back at verse 27. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak miracles? 
with tongues do all interpret. The point he's making here is that every member has a gift and every member has a function. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to, to unpack and define all of the, the gifts and the offices that, that he mentions here, but the thing that I, I do want you to know is that it is God who appoints. God is the one who has done this. God is the one who designed it this way. He is the one who appoints in the church the gifted people where they serve. So all throughout this passage, you see this is God's doing. It is his appointment. It is his design. So no one, he is the giver of gifts to the church. So no one can can appoint themselves, but it is God who does it. And now there were some offices such as apostles and prophets that were necessary uh, for the founding of the church, and others continue on for the government and guidance of the church today. I do want to draw your attention uh, to the gifts of, of helping right after miracles and healing are mentioned, because I think that's significant in light of the, the previous verses. Now, because the Corinthians were, were prone to, to praise the showy gifts, uh, the gift of helping, I'm sure, was not appreciated. But here we have this, this gift of, of helping, aiding, assisting, helping behind the scenes, often in unnoticed ways. And I've, uh, my wife and I have been in a, in a church plan environment before several years ago, and, and, and we know and understand all of the, the work that goes in behind the scenes uh, for making a, a service like this happen. So thank you for those of you that serve so regularly and faithfully to serve behind the scenes. Maybe you know I, I don't have a, a, a speaking gift, and I know that the Lord hasn't called me to that, but the, the, the gift of, of serving, of helping, we can't have one without the other. We all need each other. We all need to serve together in order for the body to function properly. Remember that your labor in the Lord is never in vain, that though it may go unnoticed by others, that it is never unnoticed by the Lord. We all have different gifts. Everyone serves a purpose. There are a variety of gifts, but each one has been given for the common good. No one has all the gifts. And that's why we all need each other. That's why he asked those, these questions. Are all apostles? Each of these questions imply a no answer. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. No. We don't all do those things. We need each other. We need each other. We are all uniquely gifted for the good of the church body. And now Paul ends with this interesting conclusion in verse 31 when he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. There is dispute on what exactly Paul is doing here. Um, but from what I can understand, the higher or the greater gifts are the ones that do more to build up the church. He's going to press into this more in chapter 14, uh, where Paul's making the case for the superiority of prophecy over tongues because prophecy aids in the building up of the church. So 
it seems from the context, most likely what Paul is doing here is encouraging the Corinthians, earnestly desire these gifts, but do it in the right way. I will show you a still more excellent way, and he's going to unpack that in chapter 13, the way of love. This is how the, the gifts are to be sought. This is how the gifts are to be used. They're, they're to be used in love. The gifts that God gives us are, are not for ourselves. And that's what we need to remember, whether it's speaking gifts or serving gifts, that the gifts that the Lord has given to us are for the common good. They're for, they're for the church. They're not for ourselves. 1 Corinthians 12, recall verse 11, that all of these gifts, they are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit gives gifts as he wills so that we would all serve together for the common good, for the upbuilding of the body, the family of Christ. So are we embracing God's design for the body of Christ and our place in the body? I believe that's the question that the Lord would have us ask ourselves this morning. Are we embracing God's design for the body of Christ? That is, that, that he has designed it as, as a, a diverse group that come together to serve in unity. Are we embracing our, our place in the body that, that we all have been given gifts to serve and to function for the well-being of others? Are, are we embracing God's design of this unity and diversity? And are, are, are we dealing with in our hearts the, the tendencies towards either feeling inferior or, or feeling superior, of thinking less of others or, or less of ourselves? And are you satisfied with how the Lord has made and uniquely gifted you? Remember that the Lord has created us all uniquely in His image and has gifted us all uniquely. I would encourage you to, to be satisfied with how the Lord has made you and in the gifts that He has given to you. Be thankful for how the Lord has made you and how He has gifted others. Each one of us has a necessary role to play and a function to carry out. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16, Paul says that we're rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As the Lord's design for the body, may each of us be faithful to embrace his calling and serve him faithfully. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the goodness of your design. We thank you for calling us all to yourself from so many different backgrounds and uh, from so many different walks of life. We thank you that we share a common Savior and that you have united us together as one in Christ. Help us to be more faithful in honoring you and serving you in the roles that you have ordained for us. I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people. In Christ's name, amen.